Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. in life wasn't the easiest. She was a shy girl with a troublesome father, but her rise to becoming the world's wealthiest female musician, well, that's a story for the ages. Welcome to this special three-part series from Shameless Podcast, The Incredible Ascension of Robin Rihanna Fenty. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello. This has been on our list for a while. Man, oh man, it has been indeed. And I'm pumped. I think Rihanna is a pop star whose music I have always adored. I've got a couple of her makeup products as well. But as far as celebrities are concerned, I don't think I've known as much like granular detail about her life compared to like the Taylor Swifts of the world. I agree with that and I'm beginning to wonder through doing this research if it's because she's deliberately kept everybody at arm's length. In fact, what it feels very much like, and we will, this is not a spoiler, we will obviously get to this (laughs) later, but it feels very much like she's taken a leaf out of the Beyonce Jay-Z handbook, which is privacy is everything. She plays up to the media a tiny bit more than Beyonce does, Mm. I would say. But she definitely sort of mirrors their real desire for privacy. That ethos, I completely agree. I'm also just naturally excited about this because truthfully, some of my favourite series that we've done on this show, looking back at people's careers, have been the ones about pop stars. Like we did the massive series on Taylor Swift. We've spoken about Beyonce and Jay-Z. We did a series on Miley Cyrus and Kylie Minogue. So I feel like This is where... The time is right. (laughs) This is where I really feel like we get into the nitty gritty of someone's life. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the thing about Rihanna is that she's been around for a long time. It's Mm. 2022. She burst into the music scene in 2005. Fuck, we're old. Oh, aren't we ever? (laughs) And she hasn't just maintained her status as a chart-topping singer, I mean, without any recent music as well. But she, as we know, moved into acting, became a fashion icon, 
and perhaps most prominently is a total beauty industry mogul with her own mm. brand Fenty. She is an incredibly smart businesswoman. Somehow even describing her as that is underselling what she's achieved. Rihanna came from very humble beginnings but is now reportedly worth $1.7 billion USD. So the success she has had in this space is unparalleled. She is the richest female musician in the world and the richest female entertainer behind Oprah. Yeah, that's an insane stat, isn't it? Pretty good on your CV. Yeah. I mean, we've given a little intro of our own, but we really need to go backwards now to introduce Rihanna properly. So let's rewind all the way back to 1988 and head to Barbados. Zara, Rihanna was born as Robin Rihanna Fenty on the 20th of Feb 1988. She grew up the eldest of three kids in a working class family on the Caribbean island of Barbados. Her mum, Monica, was a retired accountant who co-owned a clothing boutique mission. Her dad, Ronald, worked as a warehouse supervisor for a garment factory. Now, Rihanna has said that her childhood was affected by her dad's addiction to cocaine, marijuana and alcohol, which also contributed, she says, to her parents' rocky marriage. Yeah, it went beyond substance abuse too. Speaking to Good Morning America about her childhood, Rihanna later revealed, my parents had a very abusive relationship. My dad was the abuser. He hit my mum on numerous occasions. So a really traumatic history for the entire family. That said, Rihanna does want the world to know that her dad did choose to become a better man with time and also actually recovered from his addictions, which is a great part of the story. But at the time, this was super hard for the family. Rihanna has said that she actually had to take care of her two younger brothers because her mum was left to be the sole breadwinner. Yeah, she once told The Guardian, I grew up fast, kind of like the second mum. My dad got put out of the house a few times because she was not having that around us. My mum had to be a woman and a man working her ass off for us. Yeah. In response to what was going on at home, Rihanna has since said that she kind of closed up and was encouraged to hide her feelings. Entertainment Weekly did this really interesting interview with Rihanna about her childhood and the journalist wrote this, instead of acting out, Rihanna turned inward and became a loner who kept her feelings bottled up. I wouldn't cry. I wouldn't get upset. It was just all in here, she says, pointing to her head. Yeah. And she also said that the stress of what was happening with her parents took a toll on her body too and she started experiencing excruciating headaches from the age of about eight. She said, I had to go through a lot of CAT scans. They even thought it could be a tumour because it was that intense. Yeah, it was only when her parents officially divorced when she was 14 that Rihanna says her headaches finally stopped. Looking back on this time, Rihanna has said that while she didn't have, and I quote, great memories, it helped to build me and make me stronger. And here's the thing, Mitch, in terms of what she was like as a teenager, Rihanna was both a member of the cadets and a beauty pageant queen. She Mm. seemed to have quite a few bows in her... Hat, perhaps? Is that the saying? Is that the saying? No, not at all. I don't think I've ever got a saying right on this show. She ended up entering a pageant when she was 15 after being dared by her friend to do so. She sang Mariah Carey's Hero and won Miss Common Bear in the process. Hold on to that little fact about singing Mariah Carey's Hero because Mariah Carey gets a few shout-outs in these episodes. She sure does. Now, speaking of performing... 
We need to talk about how Rihanna actually got into singing Zara. That, yes. of course, it all shows so far. The pageantry stuff really shows that I think she had a penchant for performing. But the singing was really coming along at the same time. Rihanna says that she began singing around the age of seven. This is a quote. I loved listening to Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Beyonce and other great singers. I would sing in the shower and neighbours complained that I was too loud. I also loved reggae music. When I was little, my mum used to run a reggae club and I got to hear a lot of great music and artists. Over the years, she said she started to develop her songwriting skills. She said, I began writing poetry first and I would save my poems. Then later on, I began writing lyrics. I think most interestingly, Mish, she always thought that she would go on and become a successful singer. All she needed was to be in the right room with the right people. She later said in an interview, I always knew I was going to do this. I would say, when I become a singer, I knew I was going to meet somebody who would discover me one day really and truly. It's again this parallel we hear from people who become famous and incredibly conventionally successful that they just had this seed inside of them and they kind of convinced themselves that this was going to happen to them. Yeah. Remember the scandal series we did between J-Lo and P. Diddy? And J-Lo, I remember when we were talking about her early life and how her career got started, she had a very similar quote to that, that she knew she had the talent, she knew she had the skill, she knew she would make it someday. She just needed to meet that person who would make it happen. It's funny the quotes that stick out to you because you remember that one. I remember the Stevie Nicks one. Stevie Nicks spoke quite a lot about how she would carry herself as if she was going to be somebody. And I do wonder, like, to be as famous and successful as these people are, I wonder if you just have to have that innate... X factor. Je ne sais quoi. (laughs) That didn't work. (laughs) We're leaving that in, though, for sure. Now, Rihanna did have a shy side to her personality, but she didn't let that hold her back whatsoever. She actually formed a girl band with two of her classmates in her early teens. Now, this takes us to 2004. That was the year that Rihanna turned 16 and the year that she was discovered. Now, even though Rihanna's girl band, which didn't have a name, by the way, didn't have any material either, they landed an audition with veteran music producer Evan Rogers while he was vacationing in Barbados with his wife, Jackie. Now, We probably need some context there, right? Because that sounds super strange. Yeah, doesn't it? I remember when we were reading through this for the first time, I was like, how do three teenagers with a girl band that doesn't have a name (laughs) just turn up in front of Evan Rogers? But for a bit of context, they managed to score a meeting through the mother of one of Rihanna's school friends who herself was friends with Evan's wife. This is a big deal. Yeah, well, because Evan had worked with a number of big stars like Christina Aguilera, Kelly Clarkson and Christina Milian. Yeah, massive, massive names. So obviously a huge deal. Now, for this audition, Rihanna, decked out in pink capri pants, a pink shirt and sneakers, headed to Evan's hotel suite. She later said that she was so nervous because, and I quote, this was my connection to the big world that was so unreachable. She didn't need to be nervous though, did she? No, not at all. Evan said the moment that Rihanna walked into the room and I quote, it was like the other two girls didn't exist. (laughs) She carried herself like a star even when she was 15. But the killer was when she opened her mouth to sing. She was a little rough around the edges, but she had this edge to her voice. I mean, these poor other girls. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't even exist. They just vanished. I know. They got so close but were so far. (laughs) Now, the three of them performed Destiny's Child's cover of Emotions. They also sang Mariah Carey's Hero. Yeah. Now, Evan asked Rihanna to meet again and this time – 
he was really serious. He was really considering taking her on. And this time around, Rihanna came dressed in her school uniform with her mum. Evan eventually decided to take Rihanna on after this second audition. He invited her to record and write with him and his business partner, Carl Sturkin, at their studio in New York. Now, according to author John Seabrook's The Song Machine, Evan Rogers said Rihanna's mum was low-key about the opportunity. She didn't really get that her daughter had anything special, Rogers (laughs) reportedly said. She was like, well, if you see something, I just want her schoolwork to be done. Education is very important. I'm obsessed with this energy from Rihanna's mum. I think my mum would be a bit like that. So would mine. Like our mothers love us a lot, but it's like... I won't blow your smoke, blow yeah. your smoke. I will not blow smoke. And like education's the most important thing. Put your head down, do your work. A thousand percent. I think this is such a healthy attitude from a parent of a celebrity who we know went on to become a yeah. huge celebrity because so many other parents who come into these series are really toxic and basically say you're becoming famous yeah. at any cost. I love the parents who say, okay, chase this dream, but you also need a really solid foundation back at home. I love that line, well, if you see something. <laughs> like, well, if you think there's something there, I trust you. Yeah. Now, regardless, over the next year, Rihanna and her mum shuttled back and forth to his home that was just outside Manhattan to make her first demo tape. Yeah, she ended up relocating to the US permanently that year. Now, reminder, this is the year she turned 16. So this is all happening incredibly young for Rihanna. She moved in with Evan and his wife and finished up school with the help of a tutor. Of this time, Rihanna told Entertainment Weekly, when I left Barbados, I didn't look back. I wanted to do what I had to do to succeed, even if it meant moving to America. Our gal has balls. And she knew what she wanted. She absolutely knew what she wanted. And in July 2005, Evan began shopping Rihanna's four-song demo around. Now, the demo really impressed a record label by the name of Def Jam. Specifically, Mish, it caught the attention of the label's president, Jay-Z. Yes, of course, none other than rapper, (laughs) songwriter, and, of course, Beyonce's husband too. He invited Rihanna to come audition for him at their office in New York. Yeah, by this point, it was February 2005. Rihanna was about to turn 17, and she recalls, I was in the lobby shaking. I saw just a little bit of Jay-Z's face down the hall, and I was like oh my god I had never met a celebrity and to meet a celebrity who's also the president of the label that was crazy she seemed to have absolutely no chill about this which I also really appreciate (laughs) she later told the guardian that walking into the room with Jay-Z was just completely nerve-wracking she said when she saw him she thought oh god he's right there I can't look I can't look I can't look I remember being extremely quiet. I was very shy. I was cold the entire time. I had butterflies. I'm sitting across from Jay-Z, like Jay-Z. I was starstruck. (laughs) Now, Rihanna, this time, sang Whitney Houston's For the Love of Me, Ponder Replay, and another composition called The Last Time. The audition went so friggin' well that Def Jam executives signed Rihanna to a recording contract the same time. Day. The story goes that Jay-Z looked at Rihanna and asked her what he had to do to get her to cancel all her meetings with the other record labels. Yeah, now according to Rihanna, they, and I quote, locked me into the office till three o'clock in the morning. And Jay-Z said, there's only two ways out, out the door after you sign this deal or through this window. And as Rihanna recalled, we were on the 29th floor. 
very flattering. It's a little scary <laughs> to me. It's a bizarre quote. <laughs> like, it is a pretty weird quote. Anyway, Rihanna said, every time I signed my name on the contract, I was just smiling. So she was stoked to be there and stoked to be signed by Def Jam. And to Jay-Z's credit, I'm sure he would have picked up that Rihanna was glowing and so oh, for excited sure. for him to want to sign her. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been infectious energy in that room. Yeah. Now, Def Jam loved Rihanna so much, they actually wanted to fast track the release of her debut album. After signing, Rihanna spent the next three months recording and completing that album. It was called Music of the Sun. Yeah, so the next task was to choose a single off the record to release first. Big decision. I know. Rihanna said, we agreed that there were several songs which could be the first single, but Ponde Replay was selected because it seemed like the song that would be best suited for a summer release. The single came out on May 24, 2005. Rihanna was just 17 years old and I was about 11 and had just started my first funk dance classes <laughs> and the o- and the only song we ever danced to was Ponde Replay. That is, it sends me right back to that studio in Hyatt. Everything stops. One second. We can leave Rihanna to the side <laughs> for a second. You have never told me I that told you, you did funk dance lessons. I did funk. You did funk? Yeah. When? For how long? About two years. (laughs) I was so shit at it too. By yourself in secret or with friends? No, with a girlfriend in primary school. (laughs) Mum thought it was the funniest thing ever as well because I couldn't dance. I can't dance. Did you have to like crump or something? I don't know. (laughs) If it gives you the vibe, if we were only ever dancing to Ponde Replay. (laughs) I literally, that's all I think about when I hear that song. I thought you were about to say what I was going to say, which is like, what a banger. I remember this, like being obsessed with this song when I was 11 and 12 years old. Now, A lot of music critics just didn't know what to do with Rihanna and with her sound. Rolling Stone at the time compared her, and I quote, to a young Mariah Carey minus the bird calls and the generic vocal hiccups and frills clearly learned from American R&B often overwhelm her Caribbean charm. Don't know about you, it feels a little loaded. I agree. Entertainment Weekly was also critical. They put Rihanna's fame down to the backing that she had received from Jay-Z and Def Jam. The publication wrote that Rihanna's fame will likely last longer than any other musicians, but it shouldn't. What? I know. On the other hand, the New York Times lauded Rihanna for being, and I quote, the latest singer to discover how versatile spring-loaded electronic rhythms can be. Again, a real reality check for a lot of us to hear that someone as famous, successful and talented as Rihanna didn't have the warmest reception from the media. Yeah, well, not from the critics at least, but the single was a hit with the public. It even gave Mariah Carey's number one song, We Belong Together, a run on the charts. I mean, it's so funny that only a couple of years before, Rihanna had been using Mariah Carey's songs in auditions and in her pageantry and all that kind of stuff. And then so, so quickly, she's challenging Mariah Carey in the charts. Yeah, exactly. MTV report that Mariah kept the number one spot and Ponde Replay stayed at number two. But nonetheless, for Rihanna, this was a huge deal. Not only, as you say, Mish, was this her debut song, but also Mariah was someone she had looked up to so much as a young singer. She said, I admire Mariah as an artist and to compete with her was a moment I will never forget for the rest of my life. Yeah, looking back on this time, Vulture referred to Pond Replay as, and I quote, the anchor of Rihanna's entire career. Off the back of the success of that single, the album Music of the Sun came out in August 
and it took off. Rihanna very quickly became one of the biggest new female artists in the world. In an interview with MTV, 17-year-old Rihanna said that her newfound fame was still hitting her, as it would. It all happened incredibly quickly. She said, I was at an ice cream shop one day and there was a flock of children, maybe 16 of them, and they all started grabbing napkins and they were like, can I have an autograph, please? That was a moment for me because I used to be in that position. I would see a star and just beg for their autograph. And then for people to be asking me, I felt honoured. That is such a sweet story. After the break, Zara, we have a story that is not so sweet and is far more scandalous. It involves one Mr. Jay-Z. But all of that after the break. All right, Mish, you teased it out. We cannot talk about this time in Rihanna's career without talking about the rumour that was going around in 2005 that claimed Jay-Z was cheating on Beyonce with Rihanna, who at the time, as we know, was 17. Yeah. Now, Jay-Z and Beyonce had reportedly been dating since 2002. We talked about that in our series on them both. They were considered one of the music industry's biggest power couples. But as we also know, Zara... Their relationship, the one between Jay-Z and Beyonce, was like an open secret. Everyone knew they were together, but they never publicly confirmed that they were together. In fact, we didn't know that they were actually together until five years down the track in 2007 when tabloids started reporting that they were engaged. Yeah, it is a pretty insane ability for them to try and keep it under wraps. Now, as you say, it was an open secret that Jay-Z and Beyonce were together, which makes the tabloid rumours that Jay-Z and Rihanna were sleeping together behind Beyonce's back more than awkward. Yeah. Now, particularly when you consider the sentiment around this time, we ha- it's 2005 and plenty of publications, Mish, were dubbing Rihanna the new slash better Beyonce. I would say it's very indicative of the time, but I kind of feel like we do that today in 2022, imply that there's only room for like one big female star. Yeah. And I think we do it in so many different fields. It even reminds me of like how many book covers have had the next Sally Rooney yeah. on them, comparing like Sally Rooney-esque writing to any other female author. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I think in the the direct comparison between Rihanna and Beyonce would have been quite intense for the both of them. Like people couldn't separate them. Take this headline from The Guardian in 2005 by Amina Taylor. It read, move over Beyonce. At 16, Rihanna auditioned in a hotel lobby and caught the ear of Jay-Z. Move over Beyonce. Why not just like both of them exist together? Yeah, 100%. And there were also some blogs in particular, which are huge and were huge in the mid-2000s when it came to Rihanna and Beyonce, that essentially said that the rise of Rihanna meant the demise of Beyonce, which is just so ridiculous. Yeah, it was this vibe or energy in the room that was Beyonce over. Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. And so So out of nowhere almost, these rumours start popping up in blogs and tabloids that Rihanna and Jay-Z are sleeping together behind Beyonce's back. And yet we didn't have any actual proof of an affair happening, unlike Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. We didn't have photos of Jay-Z making out with Rihanna. We had nothing to go off. We just had a bunch of smoke about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people tried to connect dots when perhaps 
dots didn't need or shouldn't have been connected. People were like intently listening to the lyrics that Beyonce and Jay-Z were writing and singing. For example, in 2006, Beyonce released a breakup track called Ring the Alarm that had lyrics about, and I quote, another chick on your arm. Mm. Now, the rumour was so intense both about Rihanna and linking this song, Beyonce's song, to that rumour that before the song came out, Beyonce's dad and then-manager, Matthew Knowles, released a statement saying the song was not about Rihanna. Yeah, he said this, It is apparent that there is a consistent plan by some to create chaos around Beyonce's B-Day album release. First, it was a petition against the single Deja Vu, then a rumour regarding conflict between Beyonce and Rihanna. And now to add to all the ridiculous rumours is my plan to postpone the release of her B-Day album. What will be next? Beyonce's cut off all of her hair, dyed it green. Maybe she's singing the songs in reverse with some hidden subliminal message. Yeah, and then Jay-Z also released his album Kingdom Come featuring the song Lost One. Now, the lyrics also made people wonder whether he and Beyonce's relationship was on the rocks. He rapped, I don't think it's meant to be B, but she loves her work more than she does me. And honestly, at 23, I would probably love my work more than I did she. Yeah. Now, Rihanna denied the rumours that she was sleeping with Jay-Z. She also vocalised her disdain for the gossip blogs that were kind of pushing this rumour forward. She said at a press junket, they said, oh, she must have slept with Jay-Z to get her her deal. That's where I first heard it. They talk shit about me all the time. In an interview with The Guardian in 2007, she also spoke about the rumours again. She said, I guess it's just the affiliation, being a female and being on his label and having a close business relationship. At first it was funny, then it was frustrating because it got really intense where people just weren't letting up. Then it turned into a beef between me and Beyonce. I was like, where are these people going with this? This is crazy. Yeah, Rihanna has also also said that to Beyonce's credit, she was nothing but supportive during this time, as was Jay-Z. Rihanna said, Jay-Z just always gives me pep talks, always good advice, like keep good people around me, always telling me to let loose, go hard and have fun and work hard. Yeah. And basically she was saying he was quite paternal yeah. with her, like it wasn't romantic. And it wasn't until 12 years later it's a long time, that a writer by the name of J. Randy Taraborelli released an unauthorised biography about Beyonce and finally revealed what actually happened and where the rumour came from. Yes. So, I mean, it's a big name, J. Randy Taraborelli. Let's just call him Randy, yeah. maybe. Sure. <laughs> Randy said the rumour that Jay-Z was cheating on Rihanna was a false report fabricated by Rihanna's publicist at the time to try, and I quote, to boost her career and get her first song Ponder Replay on the charts. Now in this book, that unauthorized biography, he actually quoted Rihanna's former rep, a man named Jonathan Hay, who fessed up to the whole thing. Bizarre. Now Jonathan apparently admitted, I was working for the songwriter Vader Nobles who wrote and produced Ponde Replay. It was my job to make sure she hit the charts. In an effort to generate some interest, I began to plant stories that Jay and Rihanna were having a hot romance. Yeah, but even though the rumour wasn't true, Randy claimed that its existence still drove a wedge between Beyonce and Jay-Z behind closed doors. Absolutely it would. <laughs> if there were reports that I was cheating on Mitch, even though they were completely unfounded, I would have no ill will towards him for kind of like 
I don't know. Struggling with that. Struggling deeply with that to trust me. Absolutely. Now, according to Randy, Beyonce and Jay-Z secretly separated through this time. He wrote, they spent maybe a year apart from each other because Beyonce just wasn't sure of what to make of the situation with Rihanna. Fucking hell. So... As we know, this unauthorised biography of Beyonce came out years later, over a decade later, saying that the rumour was made up. And then Jonathan Hay came forward with his own statement after the book was released, saying that, yes, it's true and confirming his involvement. Yeah, the statement to the New York Daily News read, I apologise to Beyonce, the whole thing is very awkward. The PR stunt that I did was out of desperation to help break Ponder Replay. It was reckless and I didn't think it was going to work. I was was just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick. Fucking hell. Yeah, and if that wasn't messy enough, Rihanna's legal reps and Veda Nobles told Page Six that Rihanna never had any involvement with Jonathan Hay as a representative. <sighs> Rihanna's lawyer told Page Six, Jonathan Hay was never Rihanna's publicist or had any personal or professional relationship with her. Mm, so Jonathan Hay then clarified to Page Six that, yes, he actually wasn't Rihanna's publicist. He was the publicist for her first single back when Rihanna was a nobody. Jonathan Hay is the villain in this story. There's no other way to twist it. Yeah, it's a pretty bizarre story to put your name to, for sure, if it's not true. That said, it's pretty odd to me that Vader Nobles, the guy he was meant to be working for, says we didn't work with him. Yeah. That's all. I mean, it seems very much to be public knowledge now that the rumour was made up and that it was something that people very much jumped on. But I'm also not convinced by that explanation either. Poor Rihanna as well, now that I'm thinking about it. Poor Rihanna, who had to put up with the rumour that she was only in the music industry and she was only succeeding because she slept her way to the top. Absolutely. That's the inference. So you've got Beyonce, who's doubting her own partner, Rihanna, who's being accused of sleeping her way to the top, and Jay-Z, who's been accused of being unfaithful when he wasn't. I mean, we know he was later on in the scene, but that's okay. It's just just shitty. Yeah, it's shitty all round and it's uh, a huge symptom of how over the ages and even still we definitely do not see celebrities as human now in happier news over the next year rihanna continued to push out new music at an extraordinarily fast rate eight months after her first album she put out her second it was called girl like me and contained two of her most famous songs sos and unfaithful bangers which makes me especially angry that rolling stone only gave this record three out of five stars to their credit despite not giving it the five out of five it definitely deserved they still had praise for it saying that sos was a smash and and i quote proves america still appreciates clever pop when it hears it they did say the rest of the album wasn't as strong Gotta disagree unfaithful is one of her best songs ever yeah it's probably one of my Faves, if not the fave. Rihanna said that Unfaithful was trying to add nuance to discussions around cheating. She said, I am referred to as a murderer in that song, meaning I'm taking this guy's life by hurting him, cheating on him. He knows and it makes him feel so bad. It's killing him to know that another guy is making me happy. I love that song because we always put it out there that guys cheat. And finally, someone put it in perspective. Girls cheat too. I mean, not the most ideal storyline to come right (laughs) off that rumour, but yes, I agree. Now, the album sold one million copies. Jay-Z said that they were working Rihanna at an unbelievable breakneck pace. I mean, you've got to to put out an album eight months after your first one. Am I naive or does that just not happen anymore? 
And maybe that's a symptom of the pandemic because, like, people aren't putting stuff out as fast because they can't tour with it. Yes. But I am not seeing anyone put out stuff that quickly. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear from anyone in the industry. Has this changed over the last two decades or so? Because... Eight months between albums seems obscene. But then we did have Taylor Swift do Evermore and Folklore. But it was a huge deal at the time. It was huge and everyone was like, oh, my God, she's like worked herself to the bone to get these out. Maybe that's what's required in the early stages of your career to really break through. It's a momentum thing, probably, I am sure. Now, by this point, Rihanna wasn't even 20. She already had six top ten hits to her name and she had moved out of Evan Rogers' home and into an L.A. apartment. God knows she would have been able to afford it by this (laughs) rate. For sure. Now, in June 2008, she released her third album in two years. It was called Good Girl Gone Bad. The first single off the record was Umbrella. It topped the Hot 100, Pop 100 and Hot Digital Songs chart in the UK. Don't forget about the Hot Digital Songs (laughs) chart. In the UK, it stayed at number one for 10 weeks and became the longest running UK number one by a female artist since Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Umbrella was so influential. I remember where I was when I heard it for the first time. I was in my car. My family had just been to dinner somewhere on like the Mornington Peninsula and it was raining and this came on the radio. And everyone was like, what a perfect song for the ages. Genuinely. It is a great song. I also am loving how her heroes like Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey, she ends up really kind of starting to rival all of them in success. Now, The Guardian said that the single success wasn't just down to the song itself, but her mesmerising look. In the video, and this is a quote from the piece, 19-year-old Rihanna from Barbados cuts a startling, hyper-stylised, almost burlesque figure with a deep-slashed raven black bob and a rolled-up umbrella as a dancer's cane, tiptoeing through the rain in bellow pumps and leather hot pants. We just watched this video back the other day. She's so hot. Yeah, oh, she's amazingly hot. It's a terribly produced video. <laughs> but I know, obviously it was 2008, it's been 14 years, but it's pretty amazing to see how far special effects have come, how far music videos have come, just how far video has come. You are so right, because at the time we would have been like, this is cutting edge. And Absolutely. 14 years later, it looks like a year 12 high school production. It, looks, it really, really does. Rihanna's performance though, 10 out of 10 all the way through. Now, on June 13, that album, Good Girl Gone Bad, entered Billboard's top 200 chart at number two. Now for her third album, Rihanna said that she really wanted to make a new statement. She said, I got really rebellious. I was being forced into a particular image and I had to break away from it. Yeah. So during this time, she redefined her look. She started branding herself as far edgier. She cut her hair for the first time in that pretty iconic asymmetrical bob. Mm. And she told Entertainment Weekly, I always wanted to cut it, but I was never allowed. Now I don't give a damn. I think every teenager has a point in their life where they go into their own world and shut out everybody's opinion. That is what I am doing. Yeah. In that interview with The Guardian, Rihanna talked about how she had fired her original hairstylists and fashion stylists and hired new ones in their place, having decided that her old image was, and I quote, good early and boring. Jay-Z told Entertainment Weekly, she's found her voice. That's the best thing for any label, to have an artist step in and take control of their own career. She's left the nest. Yeah, he also said in this interview, the biggest advice I can give her is to keep her circle tight because she can't control anything else outside of that. She can't control people's opinion of her records or what's being said on the blogs. But if she has proper friends, she won't get caught up in the wild child lifestyle. I want to unpack that quote very quickly 
quickly because it does, as we said at the very top of this episode, feels like Rihanna has taken a leaf out of Jay-Z and Beyonce's handbook and has definitely modelled how she relates to the public and how she relates to fame based on the advice that they've given her because that feels very much like pertinent advice. Yeah, I feel like she probably couldn't have had two better mentors in the space. Like you think about the most powerful, well-regarded highest profile celebrities in the music industry and Jay-Z and Beyonce are right up there so is Rihanna now it's really nice to think these three artists all really nurtured and looked out for each other they all have glowing things to say about each other as well yeah absolutely and that's where we're gonna leave it for today it's 2008 and it is around this time Mish that rumors about Rihanna dating Chris Brown really start to amp up but all of that and more on the next episode in this three-part special series yeah guys thank you so much for listening to episode one a massive thank you as well to our researcher justine landis hanley we research all of these episodes alongside justine and she is just the best yeah guys as always we are on instagram at shameless podcast we are on tiktok at shameless underscore podcast that is all for now but we will be back in your ears on thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture thanks guys bye bye Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.